Good morning, Light City. I hope you have been blessed by service this morning so far and that you're experiencing the presence of the Lord wherever you are. You know, Proverbs tells us that wherever we are, He is already there waiting. And so if you're feeling dry, lonely, distant, I want to invite you to just take a second and invite the Holy Spirit into your space. And on a personal note this morning, I wanted to thank each of you for your continued support of the church. It's because of each of you that we've been able to continue to reach our city, but even more than that, the entire world. So really quick, if you wanted to give, there's a link right below in the description. Uh, and also, if you're needing prayer, you can reach out to us on golightcity.com or jump onto the chat. That's also right below me or beside me uh, because we have church leaders on there and they're ready to connect with you. If you're new, we just want to say welcome and we're so glad that you've chosen to spend this morning with us. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and turn on the notification bell so that you're notified every single time we go live for a service. Well, that being said, good morning. I'm looking forward to preaching, uh, but I've got to say it is not the same preaching to an empty room. And I cannot wait until we're finally back together. I mean, you're going to have to bring some of your best shouts and amens to make up for all this quietness that I've had to live with. Uh, and so actually, I was thinking this morning, if we can try something, uh, maybe I could get a few amens in the chat right now. You know, we'll, I have a screen and we'll be looking at it. And so uh, I'd love to see in the chat, maybe some virtual feedback. Just let me know that you're feeling what I got to say this morning. Uh, because for this, the message this morning, um, I feel that the Lord has set me on a direction because he's heard the questions that you have been asking during this corona incubation time. Um, he's seen the struggles you've been facing, and he wants to give you something today to see it all in a different light. And Joshua chapter 14 is a very pivotal scripture for the nation of Israel and for Joshua, uh, for us and for Joshua, as it's really the inheritance that God has promised to give to them for so many centuries. You know, these people who are walking into this new land and as he's dividing up, Joshua's dividing up the different parcels of land. He's casting lots to decide which of the tribes will go on to live uh, in one area. There's one person who takes some initiative and his name is Caleb. And I want to read to you his, the speech that he made to Joshua because he's trying to convince, him, to convince him that he's supposed to live in a certain place. And so he's going to tell him some of the things from his resume and is also going to tell him some things and reflect on some of the stuff that has happened. And I want to kind of let us eavesdrop into that conversation today. And so Joshua Chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh. And I want to stop there, and I'm sorry about it, uh, but I got to put this plug in there because I'm wondering if it's significant that it's Judah, uh, because the Bible, you know, talks about Judah represents praise. And I wonder if there's something about praise that helps us take possession of the promises of God. I just wonder that out loud while we're live streaming today. I'm not sure, but if some of the problems that you've been focused on, if you can get into a place of praise this morning, you might be able to see a solution more clearly. But we're never going to make it through the next eight verses if we keep doing it like this. So let's get back to it. Let's start over. Then the people of, jo the people of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and concerning me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord from Kadesh Barnea, 
uh, what the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea. I was just a young man, as you know, just 40 years old, you know, 40 years old. It's a very youthful age, uh, you know, very youthful and what he's talking about. And he said, I was 40 years old when Moses sent us out to spy the, out the land. Um, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart, but my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet wholly I followed the Lord my God. I didn't let it get to me. I didn't let it get in me. And Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, behold, the Lord has kept me alive as he said these 45 years since the time, you know, that's a long time to wait for a promise to come to pass. And, you know, that's a long time to wait to suffer at somebody else's disobedience. 45 years I survived the wilderness. You know, it's been 45 years since that time the Lord spoke this word, of, this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old I am still as strong today, 85 and still flexing. I'm still as strong today as I went in the day that Moses sent me. My strength is now as my strength was then for war and to going and to coming. So now it's been a long time coming, but now give me this country on which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim, were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And then Joshua blessed him and gave, him, and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the illumination of your word. We thank you for your presence that invades each and every one of our homes this morning. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this morning as I was thinking, it's so great uh, that we get the opportunity to see how God is making a nation uh, because that's what he's doing. He's making a nation here. He's forming a nation. And he said, I want a people that can present me, God speaking, to the world. And he didn't do it the typical way because, you know, if you wanted to have a great nation, you would, I mean, logically pick a rich one. You'd pick a wealthy one. And yet instead of making a nation that was already great, our greater God found a man who was too old to have kids with a wife who was barren in her womb and created a great nation out of an impossible situation. I mean, I'm preaching hard this morning already. Gonna try and keep the throttle down so I'm not shouting in your house this morning. But this is a message in itself is that when God found Abram, you know, the artist formerly known as Abram, he went on to become Abraham, and he was the father of many nations. But when God called him, you know, his stuff wasn't even working anymore. And the reason why I'm telling you this is that sometimes God will speak something over your life, and you'll look in the mirror and not see it. You know, he'll speak something to your soul, and you look in the mirror and you won't see it, which is why it's so important to know that it's not how God sees you that determines where your life ends up. Right? Because if it had been, Moses wouldn't have died in the wilderness. You see, it's not how God sees me. It's how I think God sees me that determines where I end up. And I'll prove it to you. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, remember the Bible says, let us make man in our own image. 
God needed someone to show the world what he looked like, or else he would have just remained a concept. You know, God would have been this abstract theory. So he made man and woman to reflect who he was. He needed someone to show his nature through, so he made you and he made me. And when you insult the product, you insult the manufacturer, why it's so good to know our theology, which is that we were made from dust, that God took something that seemed filthy and useless, something that seemed finite and limited, and made it something that would reflect what is eternal. Then, after making man, he began to create not only the world for the man, but a nation through Abram, through someone who seemed unlikely, And the nation of Israel spent a whole lot of time trying to figure out oftentimes what each of us try to spend our whole lives figuring out, you know, at least our teenage years, maybe our early 20s and that. We're trying to figure out and solve this question, what's my identity? So what you're really seeing in Joshua chapter 14 is not just a people trying to get some real estate but a people group that are trying to come into their identity, you know, their personal identity, their national identity. And it's hard because they've been through so much at this point of time. And they started from something that was so small and it's easy for them to see themselves according to what they've been through or according to where they've started. And now at this point in scripture, they're starting to break up. You know, there's nine and a half tribes that are about to get some land. And so Joshua and the priests that are around him, they're shaking this receptacle. You know, this is what they call it when they cast lots. They're shaking this receptacle and they would take the thing and they would shake it. And these little wood blocks would fall out and there was little codes on them. And as it kind of, this determined how everything would shake out and, and, and what it fell on meant this is the plot of land that this tribe gets. And Caleb interrupts the process and he's like, hold on, you're not going to figure out where I live just by rolling some dice, okay? I've got a promise. And Moses said, now remember, Moses was the one who was supposed to lead the people into their promised land, but he was unable to do it. And here's how I would put it. If I was a preacher, you know, watch this. I would say he got them out of Egypt, but he could never get Egypt out of them. Because they were oppressed for, as you know, 430 years. And when you've been under anything, for a length of time like this, you know, when you've been under the power of any influence for any length of time, that influence starts to become your identity. And so now in our life, our addiction speaks more about our identity than God's potential and God's word over your life, than the prophetic gifting that's on the inside of you. And this happens to all of us. When you've been suffering from something, you can begin to take on the name of your disease or your issue, trading the name of your creator whose image and likeness we were made in. But you see, it's how you see it. It's how you see yourself. And I think I can prove this to you if you give me like two and a half minutes here. Uh, The reason that the people didn't go in under Moses uh, was because Moses really never saw himself in the image of his creator. Parallel that, Abram did. Abram did 
even though he had a hard time getting with it, you know, even though he was like, uh, yo, you got any pills for that or anything like that because now I'm old. And even though he had to wait for Isaac and even though in the middle of the process, he kind of messed it up as he slept with Hagar. And even though all this stuff happened, God still called him the father of faith, the father of many nations. And to show him who he was, he brought him out of his tent, which is symbolizing out of his limitation, out of his situation. He said, okay, here's a revelation for your situation. Get out of your situation and now go look up. And I, I believe this morning I'm preaching to somebody that look up at any, and he said, look up at the stars and try to count all the stars if you can. And, you know, I think about it. I don't know how far he got counting the individual stars before he's like, what's the point, God? You know, I can't, you know, obviously he's like 300 and, you know, it's like those guys doing the bicep curls, you know, 343 and 344. And I can imagine Abraham, 343 and 344 and 345. And as he's counting these stars, he's asking himself, you know, God, what are you trying to show me? And God said to him very clearly, as many as there are, so shall your descendants be, so shall your seed be. So he gives them an image, which is important, an image, not just an idea, but an image. And now in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, if you have a second, look it up. You could pause me and look it up real quick. It says this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now that's very powerful, that Jesus shows us what God is like, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, that's what Jesus is. He is the image of the God, the visible image of the God that we cannot see. He's the visible image, the scripture tells us, of the invisible God. And this is the challenge for everybody this morning under the sound of my voice, that there is a way that God sees you because he's the one who has formed you. And there is a way that you see you, and there is a way that others see you. And where do you go from this point forward in your life is dependent on which mirror you believe. You know, I've got all these mirrors in my house uh, and I'm convinced that they're all messed up. Uh, and I know they're messed up because they keep showing me things, you know, like my beard is supposed to be this nice dark brown and my hairline is supposed to be better than this, you know, but I look in those mirrors and they're obviously messed up and they're defective. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take them back to the store because they keep showing me all these gray patches in my beard and I'm like 35 years old. And so what I've started doing is rebuking the mirrors in my house. You know, these lines keep showing up beside my eyes and I'm like, you're a liar, like your father, the devil, I cast you back, you mirror from hell. I cast you back to the pit of hell. Now, how many of you have ever looked at a messed up mirror? How many have ever had the people around you make you feel a certain way about yourself? You know, because when Moses was coming into his identity and his assignment, he had to deal with the fact that he was really living with two different images of who he was. Okay. And remember, God is using Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egyptian oppression. And Moses' first impulse is to, or his first act is to step out on his impulse. You know, he does the right thing, but he does it in the wrong way. He defends his people, but he does it by murdering an Egyptian. So he's ahead of the time and he's out on his own, but he's doing the right thing. But he still doesn't know who he is yet and it's difficult for him because 
he doesn't really fit in in either group where he's living. You know, the Hebrews are the people that he was born from, and the Egyptians are the people that he was raised by. But he identifies more with the people that he was born from than the people that he was raised by, so he doesn't really fit in. And when you don't really fit into either group, you end up running. And that's what happened to Moses. He's confronted by an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew one day and he killed him uh, and buried him. And the next day he went out and saw two of his brothers fighting and he was like, break it up guys. You know, we're suffering enough from them. We don't have to, you know, kill each other. And this is in Exodus chapter two. And I want to show you really quick in Exodus chapter two, it says, the man said back to him, who has made you the prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me the way you've killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known, and he ran. And we don't see him in his life until this next stage, his, the next stage of his assignment, which is, is like 40 years later, because he was too Hebrew to be an Egyptian, and he was too Egyptian to be a Hebrew. And when you don't really fit in with either, you don't really know who you are and you spend years of your life running from who you are, looking in the mirror of your last mistake. So he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran. And see, the question that he asked is the right one. He said, who made you? This is what God said. Who made you? Who made you? But if you don't know the answer to that, you'll hand other people your mirror to show you who you are. Let me tell you something about people. People would rather define you by your worst mistake What's crazy about Moses is that he killed a man and there's only one verse in the Bible about his murder. Now, if you were to let people today write the Bible, they would have had a whole book, you know, it would have been called the book of Moses' murder, you know, the book of Moses' mistake, you know, the book of Betty's divorce, the book of your lowest moment. But see, God doesn't see you through the lens of your mistake. Maybe he sees you through the lens of his grace. And maybe when he looks at you, he sees the finished work of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about the fact that if he, they didn't make you, they can't define you because God holds our mirror. And I promise you this morning, I'm, I told everybody that I'm gonna try to be calm. But when God showed me this idea that he's the one who holds my mirror. So he showed Moses you know, he showed me this about Moses as Moses is standing in front of the burning bush and God's like, I'm going to use you. You know, you're the one, Moses, you're the guy that I'm going to use to do this amazing thing. You know, you're the one who, has, who, who had this conflicted identity and so many mistakes and you don't really believe in yourself. And so I was thinking about you and how you might stand in front of something that God is speaking to you and it's burning on the inside of you, but you can't really locate yourself because honestly, you don't really fit into either group. You know, you don't fit into the really churchy people because they're so perfect and, you know, they pray so much and they make Bible verses out of their kids' sandwiches and, you know, they pack them in their lunchbox, you know, Numbers 13, 31, you know, cut out scripture stencils and pack in their lunchbox, you know, like the fish, the boy with the fish and the loaves. And, you know, you're not churchy enough, but you're also not worldly enough, you know, because the spirit of God is on the inside of you. And, and so when you're trying to live your own way, you have this voice on the inside of you screaming at you that you are born for so much more than this. And, you're kind of righteous, but you're kind of ratchet. And you're kind of a worshiper, but you're kind of a worrier. And you're kind of organized, but you're kind of chaotic. And you're kind of powerful, and you're kind of petty. And, you know, come on, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody out there, but you're living in a little bit of both. 
and your self-concept is in development. And this is when it's very important who holds your mirror. Because if the wrong people show you, you get a distorted image of yourself. And then you'll start matching in your life what you see in your mind. And this is what Moses did. And God's like, all right, I got a job for you. I'm going to use you, but I'm going to give you everything you need. Cool. And Moses' response in my paraphrase is, he's like, you know, ah, but ah, yeah, God, like that sounds cool. But ah, see the thing about me and watch what he says. This is in Exodus chapter 14, right? It's because it's in the mirror that you're looking at. And so if you're looking at the mirror of what you're missing, and you only see what's not there. And this is what Moses said. He's like, oh my Lord. You know, this is Exodus 4.10. He's like, OMG God, like I'm not eloquent and I'm definitely not eloquent. And don't look at me because I'm not eloquent. And this is how so many of us live with both voices in our head. One voice saying I am and one is saying I'm not. And I don't know which one to believe. You know, I've got this thing on the inside of me that feels like I could do it and feels like I'm supposed to do it and feels like I'm going to make it. But I've got this other thing on the inside of me saying the opposite and I don't know which way to look. So he says to God, God, I'm not eloquent. And then he says, you know, either in the past or either in the last five minutes, nothing has changed since you started speaking to me. I'm still the same. You know, I got saved. I showed up and my nose is still big. You know, I'm still kind of cross-eyed. I still read slow. You know, I still don't feel intelligent enough. You know, I got saved, but I got memories. I got saved and I love God, but I still got some trauma. I got saved and I love God, but I still feel limited by my experiences. And he says it, God... I'm not what you think I am. And God goes on and his answer is so instructive. The next verse he says, it's so good. He said, who has made you? Who made your mouth? Who made your brain? You know, I can hear Moses in this moment. He's saying, yeah, but I'm just weird. And I wonder often to myself, what if the world is weird and we're the normal ones? You know, the, the one time I can remember hearing about this when I was going through school, they discovered this, this concept that a lot, in a lot of primates actually is where they discovered it. Um, and, and primates and humans alike actually that were wired with these things and maybe you've heard about them before. Uh, I, I watch a lot of TED Talks and so I hear about all this stuff. They're called mirrored neurons, right? And so our brain actually, it's, it's amazing. Our brain actually experiences the same emotions that somebody were watching. Okay, so it's like if we're tuned into them, and this is what they got from looking at these, you know, chimpanzees, they, they were watching a man open up a nut and they had it hooked up to his brain and they saw the same brain activity in the monkey that was happening in the man's brain who was opening the nut. And they realized that all humans are wired in such a way with these things called mirror neurons that I experience your reality by watching you experience it. 
okay? So this is why, you know, as a parent, when, you know, we get mad, kids, my kid can feel that there's some tension in the room. They can feel the tension because it's called a mirror neuron. And here's what's happening. You know, I was thinking about this as we were playing on Wednesday night. I was thinking about this concept. We're singing, the Lord shall reign, right? The Lord shall reign. And somebody's out there while you're singing that, and they're going through a battle. Maybe it's your husband or your wife or one of your kids in your house. And, and they're feeling that like they're losing. Oh man, this is so good. But God puts you out in front of them as a mirror. So now all of a sudden, they didn't feel victorious. But when they saw you singing and worshiping, when they saw you convinced, they didn't feel like they have the victory. But while you were shouting the victory, they started seeing themselves through your mirror. Look at if you don't think you're going to make it through Corona, if you're nervous about your family, if you don't have the faith today, let me tell you something, you could borrow mine. You're going to make it through because I said so, because God says so. It's called a mirror neuron. And this is the thing I realize is that just as contagious as faith is, so is cynicism. So if you've got cynical people holding up your mirror, you'll always feel small. You'll always feel smaller than your challenge, smaller than your giant, smaller than your addiction, because you're not looking at your God. But when God holds your mirror, you know, Abraham, 344, 345, 346, I'm still counting because God's not done yet. His mercies are new every morning. He's the one who began the good work in me, and he's faithful to complete it. You know, one thing about the mirror is it always shows you the image in reverse. God knows how your situation is going to turn out. He knows how your story is going to end. He knows what he put on the inside of you. You know, when this message flooded into my heart, I realized this is going to change our lives forever because we've simply been looking in the wrong mirror. You know, we've been looking at our mistakes. And when our mistakes are our mirror, you stay outside of Canaan, even though you have the strength to go in. Not because you're small, but because you see small. And so this is when the spies came back, you know, this is grasshoppers. The spies came back and they were like, hey, Moses. And remember, Moses had dealt with rejection his whole life. And so a lot of the times when people don't accept you, it's because they haven't, they haven't, they've rejected themselves. They haven't accepted themselves. And, you know, not all the time, but a lot of the times, and this is really an important point is that everybody's acceptance is not a blessing because the majority might be the wrong mirror. You know, 10, of the to- 10 out of the 12 spies said the giants are too big. And this is what they said. They said, you know, we went into the land Moses and they became the mirror for millions of people who had a promise from God, but you hadn't possessed it yet. This is why it's so important who you're around, what you're taking in, what you're looking at, because you become what you behold. So people are giving a report and they're like, it's a great place. There's, the valleys are fertile. The land is rich. You know, we brought you back some grapes. You know, these things that look like beach balls. No, these are grapes. And, you know, they're so big, we had to carry them back on poles. But then they stopped looking at God and they started looking at the grapes and they started talking about the giants and When they looked too much at the giants as a mirror, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. That's what they said in Numbers 
13:33, they said there were the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, and they were giants in the land, big, strong adversaries that we would have to dispose to take the land. And we seem to ourselves, you know, this is such a thing, like grasshoppers. Not to God. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. You know, most people see God really big. You know, even those who don't or barely believe in him see him as really big. And this is what I've learned, is that it's not how big you see God. It's how much you believe that God is in you. This is what they said. We seemed to ourselves as grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. I've realized that our reflection so often in our life determines our reality. And what got me about that is that they could have seen the exact same situation in reverse, right? Watch this. They were like, the giants, you know, Moses, the giants are too big, but God promised us the victory, but I guess we can't go in because of the signs of them, but watch if we reverse it. Because God always shows you, God is our mirror. He holds our mirror, so he always shows us the image in reverse that God has already promised us the victory and the giants are so good. If the giants are so big and God has promised us the victory, if what's coming against us is great, how much greater must God be within me? Greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. The, the, the size of my giant is proof to me of the size of my God. Man, thank you, Lord. If God is letting me experience a challenge that's this big like Corona. See, God is trying to use your enemies in your life, the situations you're going through, to show you how valuable you are in his kingdom. And why would you let your enemies hold your mirror anyways? Why would we let the media or the news or situations hold our mirrors? Because who cares what the sons of Anak think what you look like? And this is what Caleb said. He was like, shut up. We can do it. And I give you permission right now, chat that. I mean, I want to see all the chats saying, shut up, I can do it, right? It's in the Bible, so I think we could chat this, right? And this is what Caleb said. He said, shut up. He silences the people and said, if God is with us, if my Messiah, my God is my mirror, you know, I always thought it was funny because he's like, hey, Joshua, I know you're rolling these, you know, these dice, rolling these lots around to figure out, you know, who's going to live where and where we're all going to go. But remember, God gave me a promise that I would live in the high place. I want Hebron. If you know anything about the map of, of, of Israel and the land, Hebron is 3,000 feet above sea level, you know. I'm going to do it right now, above sea level, you know, right? I haven't preached in a month or so, so I mean, I'm giving you all that I got, right? Is that so often in life, watch this, we've been living at sea level, right? We've been looking in the wrong mirror, right? I've been consulting the mirror of my flesh, right? You put, you know, some of you ladies, maybe not this morning because we're all sitting at home in our PJ drinking coffee, but most mornings, you know, you sit in front of the mirror for 20 minutes to put on some makeup, but we didn't get in the right mirror. This, this book, this is a mirror too, right? You've been struggling over external issues so often, but what about what's on the inside of you? Look, I can't run around to people who are struggling with their own sense of self to determine mine. And I can't use a situation, their situations either. This is why I love what Caleb has to say. 
Because it's almost like, you know, he's like, come on, man. You know, he, you know, think about this. You know, he's 85 years old, 85 years old. He's walking up. You know, I always think about some of those old Italian dudes who just like, you know, you're like, dude, you're way too old to be wearing what you're wearing, right? But he walks up and he's all tough and he's like, I still got it, right? Now, this is the question. What mirror are you looking at? Right, let me see this in the chat. I want you to say this just like Caleb did as he walked in that room. I want everybody across there to say, I still got it. You know, I want to say, say it to yourself even right now because it feels good. I'm feeling good as I'm saying that right now. I still got it, right? I still got it because I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about the flesh. I'm not talking about what we look like on the outside. I'm talking about faith. And, and the wilderness can do one of two things in you. It can kill you or it can make you stronger. And Caleb said that, right? He said, all that I went through, I didn't get bitter, I got better. I didn't get the wilderness in me, even though I went through the wilderness. In fact, everything I went through over the last four and a half decades only served to convince me that much more, right? Oh man, I still got it. I mean, if God promised me back then and saw me through all this that we've gone through over these last 40 years, right? I don't want to live at the level of your feelings because you've settled too low. You've settled for what you see. You've settled for what people say. You've settled for old templates. You've settled for old scripts. You've settled for old emotions. But when you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, man, you got to settle up. I'm going to the high place. I'm going to Hebron. I'm going above what I feel, above what I've been through. And he said, I want to live there. I want to live where the blessings are. I want to live where the battles are. You know, I realized something. You can't have a victory without a battle. And I believe God is raising us up right now in this very moment, right? He's doing it through a process and we're working through it. But here's the thing. The level you will settle on is the level that you will live at. And it makes me so sad so often to think about how many times that you and I have gone and looked to the wrong mirror. And because of it, we see a grasshopper when we're really a giant. When we see a failure, when it was really a lesson. When we see what's missing because we can only see through the filter of our fear. And God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. This is the thing. When God said, I am to Moses, you know, my name is I am. He was trying to get him to see, to see yourself the way that I am. And this is what a mirror does. God says, I want you to see myself in you. Because this is the thing. When God sees you, he sees himself. He sees his son, Christ, the visible image of the invisible God. And if he is in you, he is more than the world that's against you. As I wrap up today, I want to pray for a few people. You will know who you are if this message has resonated with you in a personal way. And, and it's like this. If you've been going to the wrong mirror, You've been consulting physical, natural, relational elements. You know, incompleted, fragmented elements. And you don't know who you are. You're stuck between two realities. And the message that God gave me is that he is our mirror. And you know what's beautiful? I love this. He is our mirror. 
and we are his. He wants to use you to reflect himself to the world. And so he's going to give you some stuff. You know, some of it is going to be giants in front of you. And some of it is going to be giants inside of you. You know, David was amazing at killing the giants in front of him, but it was the ones that were in him that ended up taking him out. And some of them are going to be short-term, and some of them are going to be long-term. And if you go to the wrong mirror, you'll always feel like a grasshopper. You'll always feel small. But if you learn how to worship, and if you learn how to get into the Word of God and believe the promises that He spoke over your life, and get in this mirror, you are not only going to win over the insecurity You know, you're not only, let me tell you something, you can't get over your insecurity looking in the mirror of Instagram, right? It's only going to show you what you're not, what you don't have, what you can't, what you won't. But if you get in this mirror, I'm telling you something, the word of God can do something for your spirit. It can make you stronger in your spirit than your enemies are in your situation. Now I'm going to invite you wherever you are, at home. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet, just like I would invite you in church to stand up, even though you're not here, because I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you, and I want to prophesy over you. The Lord said that this word would hit deep for the ones in need. As we close out this giant series, I believe that it's going to hit us deep, that we've been seeing ourselves according to our past experiences, that we've been looking in a rearview mirror at something that happened way behind us and we're about to crash and something that's in front of us. And he said that today he wanted to give you a different mirror, a different mirror. Caleb said, I'm not just settling for my lot in life. I'm not just settling for depression. I, you know, I was hesitant to preach about this because I thought that people would hear it, you know, and they would be like, oh, you know, God, give me my BMW, you know, and God, make me famous. And that's not what Caleb said. He said, I want the challenge. I want the altitude. I want the opportunity to prove God again. I want to live at the high place. I want to be my higher self. He said, I'm still strong. I still got it. My faith went through 45 years of testing and I survived. I still got it. I'm not ashamed of what I went through. It proves that God was with me through it all. I still got it. And I thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. It shows us who we are. You know, thank you for moments of worship like we had this morning where we can reflect and where we can behold your glory. So I'm going to invite you right now, just as we close our eyes with everybody standing who's resonated with this message, to close our eyes and visualize it. Visualize it. Visualize the victory. Visualize what you've walked through. You know, and the Old Testament, we know the king told Elisha that he would strike the ground three times. And Elisha told him very clearly that you got to see the victory before you see the victory. You know, open the east window and shoot. It's, the, it's, it, it's first the creation that happens inside of our minds. You know, you got to be able to see See yourself made out of dust, but touched with divinity. You got to see yourself free, even though you don't feel free. Even though, you know, you might find yourself keep running back to lesser stuff. You know, you got to see that you live according to a higher purpose and that you're called by a higher name than the name that has called you. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed, just as we're seeing the victory in our situations. Heavenly Father, I'm asking for every man, every woman, every child, every human being under the sound of my voice right now. 
Lord, that we reject this grasshopper mentality, this grasshopper mindset where we've seen ourselves smaller than our situations, where we've consulted our emotions, we've consulted our problems, where we've consulted opinions about who we are. Father, today we see ourselves handing you our mirror. We give you the mirror of our lives and we declare that we'll no longer see what we're not, but we'll begin to see who we are. Lord, we prophesy the victory. I prophesy over every man, every woman, every child, the victory that not only are you going to come through this situation, but you're going to come out better, stronger, because you still got it. In Jesus' name, amen.